Hello, and welcome to the River Audio Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We believe God has something unique to say to you, and our hope is that you feel His love stronger today than ever before. Enjoy the message. To the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 9, in verse 18. Hebrews 9, 18, I'm going to read 18, 19, and 20. I get my water ready. Hebrews 9, 18. And the scripture says, Therefore, not even the first covenant, somebody say first covenant, And by the way, the word covenant simply means, anybody? Agreement. Agreement. There would be a promise in it, but the word covenant, a covenant is something that you cut between two people. I would enter covenant with you. I will do this if you will do that, and we shake hands. That is a covenant. It simply means agreement. That's all it means, a deal, an agreement. Therefore, not even in the first covenant... Not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop, and he sprinkled both the book itself, so the actual scroll of the law, that he had just read to them. He read them the entire, the entire law that God had given him for them. He sacrificed these animals. He sprinkled the book itself. It would have been a scroll. And he sprinkled the people with the blood, saying, this is the blood of the covenant. This is the blood of the agreement. This is God's end of the bargain that God commanded for you. This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. I want to minister a message today that we will simply call, this blood's for you. This blood's for you. Pray with me. Father, thank you again for today. Thank you for this moment, for those that are here, those that are watching, those that will watch. I need your help. I believe that you handed me this message. Help me to preach it your way. Help me to give your heart to the heart of the people. Help us today that our ears are open, that our eyes are open, that we will actually see, that we will actually hear that we will understand, that we will mix it with faith, that we will take it, that we will apply it, that our life will be different because of it when we, when we leave here today, and that we'll use it. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. So, in the scripture, there are many different covenants, many different agreements, even different covenants that God established with people. But generally, we think about two. Generally, when somebody brings up the covenants, they're talking about one of two. The old covenant, the old agreement, the first covenant, which we just read about, or the new agreement. The new agreement ratified by the blood of Jesus when Jesus died on the cross, the new covenant. The Old Covenant Agreement and the New Covenant Agreement. Now, as a side note, uh, oh, sermon notes are back there. Does anybody need sermon note sheets? I forgot to tell you. If you want one before we jump in, we'll have somebody bring it to you. Wave to me if you want a sermon note sheet. You'll have all the verses you can follow along. Everybody good? All right. You grab one for Miss Karen? Okay. Anybody else need one? Wave to us. No problem to bring it. Okay. Old Covenant, New Covenant. Now, as a side note, there are many people in the body of Christ that they basically throw out 
the Old Testament of our Bible. You know, our Bible is in two testaments. An Old Testament, a testament is a testimony. It is a record. It's information. It's a story. It's how things work. We have in our Bible the Old Testament and the New Testament. There are a lot of Christians that really dismiss the Old Testament. They only want to read the New Testament. And they are living under a, uh, a mistaken belief. And maybe somebody even here. There are people that think that the Old Testament is the Old Covenant and that the New Testament is the New Covenant. But can I tell you that in our New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and on through, can I tell you that there's a lot of Old Covenant in our New Testament? How many of you know that when the Gospels were recorded, Jesus hadn't died yet? Before Jesus' death on the cross, everybody was still living under the old agreement, still living under the law while Jesus is on the earth. And so there is a whole lot in the New Testament leading up to the fulfillment of the old covenant. And much of the Old Testament prophesies about the new covenant. So you can find new covenant in the Old Testament, and you can find old covenant in the New Testament. What am I telling you? You need to read the whole Bible. You need the old and the new, and you need everything in between. You need to see the interaction of our forefathers and foremothers. Come on. We need to see the patriarchs and the matriarchs of our faith. We need to see their dealings with God. I'll give you an example. When King David failed time and time again, when he failed under the law that he lived under, under the law that he was king over, David's life was required for his failures. David's life was required for the loss of life of Uriah. David's life was required for his adulterous affair with Bathsheba. David's life was required, and God didn't kill him. He was under the old covenant. Why not? David, in humility, reached past the law of God into the heart of God and obtained grace that would not be paid for and fulfilled until the new covenant. Come on, somebody. But God was always a God of grace. God was always a God of love. He's always been a God of mercy. And so we need to read the old and new covenant in the Old Testament and we need to read the Old and New Covenant in the New Testament. Am I making sense, and are you learning anything? Is this helping, helping some things? Say, oh, now I kind of see it. Because when you, when you read the Bible, you say, what's, what's going on here? This doesn't look like this. This passage tells us that even the Old Covenant required blood. We think of the New Agreement being about the blood of Jesus. But man could not keep up to his end of the old covenant. This agreement, the agreement of the law. Do these things. The law is a list of do's and don'ts. The law was given. Ten commandments were given to Moses. Uh, God ended up giving about six to seven hundred laws to the children of Israel they took those laws and turned it into 1,400 laws. They made up extra laws to help protect them from breaking the first laws. One of the laws said that you could not plow on the Sabbath. And so they created a law that said you could not drag a, a chair across the floor on the Sabbath. 
You say, what's that got to do with anything? They said, well, they said, if you pull a chair across the floor, they said, there might be some dirt. I'm serious. And the leg of the chair will plow through the dirt, and now you have broken the law that says, thou shalt not plow on the Sabbath. I wish I were kidding. There was a law that said, thou shalt not harvest on the Sabbath. So they created a law that said that a woman shall not look in a mirror on the Sabbath. What's that got to do with anything? They said, well, a woman may find a hair that she doesn't, wish I was making it up, and she, she may be tempted to harvest on the Sabbath. Not a joke, but it is funny. And so they took God's law and then piled it on. We laugh at that, but we do that. We have created our own religion. We make up all kinds of things that the Lord didn't tell us or didn't require. We make up all kinds of things that God needs from us in order to approve us, things to go with salvation. And generally what we do is we find something that we personally are good at or able to do anyway. And then we say God requires it because now I can do it and why aren't you, why aren't you doing it? Now, the things that we're not supposed to do that we struggle with, we dismiss those and don't bring them up. Come on, somebody. We just make all this up. Anyway, this all comes back to this thought, this system that in order to be right with God, we have to do. Somebody say do. Doing is the opposite of being. You are a human being, not a human doing. Come on. You just are. You don't have to do anything to exist. You just exist. But this, this old covenant idea, this system of law, of rules and regulations, says if I will do enough of the right stuff, if I'll do the right things and if I'll do enough of them, the more I do, the more work that I do, the better I behave, this will gain me approval with the God. This will gain me approval with this angry sky being. This will make me right with the one that made everything, and it's sitting in the sky and waiting for you to mess up. If I do enough, this whole idea. Now, God gave the law, but the Bible tells us that the reason God gave this system of law called the Old Agreement, the reason he gave this system was only to prove to man, you can't. You can never do it all. You can never do enough. You will never get all of it right every time with everybody, every day. You can't. And if you're priding yourself because you're so good in one area, you're going to fail somewhere else really big. If our faith for right standing with God is in what we can do, we're never right with God because you, sim you simply cannot do enough. And so God created the old agreement. He created the first agreement. God says, do all this. And the Israelites said, sure, we'll do whatever you require. And God said, good luck. And very quickly they couldn't. So Paul explains to us, now firstly, the law is still true. It's still right. It's still good. How many of you know it's good not to murder? So the law is holy, just, and good. That's what the Bible says. How many of you know it's good not to lie? 
It's good not to steal. It's good not to run around. It's good not to covet what somebody else has. All of these things are good. So the law is correct. We're not saying that the law is not good or that it's not correct. We're just saying it's impossible. You see, it's not just in the action that we have to keep it. We're supposed to keep it in, uh, in deed, in word, and in thought. In order to be righteous, and righteous simply means in right standing with God, in order to be righteous by the law, you have to keep the law in perfection, in action, in words, and in thought from conception through death. Paul says that if you break the law in one area, you pick the law, whatever it is. You pick the subject, you pick the sin. He says if you break any of them, either by action or by word or by thought, he says you're guilty of the whole law. That is hopeless. That is hopeless. Jesus said, the law tells you not to commit adultery. He said, but I say to you, if you even look, guilty. Jesus said, the law tells you that if you murder, he said, but I say, if you even hate, guilty. How are we stacking up on our personal righteousness, on our self-righteousness? Only Lisa, she, she said, whoo. <laughs> we don't stack up very well. We don't have to look any further than the, the first 10 commandments of that old agreement, of that first covenant, to find out we need Jesus. We need Jesus. We will never, ever, ever, ever be right with God by what we do. We'll never be right with God. There is no agreement that exists between humanity and God that humanity is able to keep up with their end of the bargain. Old covenant. Are you hearing me? That is the old covenant. And even that broke, busted, disgusted thing required blood required the shedding of blood because of the brokenness of humanity. Because humanity could not do it. Even the first covenant was not inaugurated without blood. So we learn here that there has never been a time where sin was forgiven any other way but the shedding of blood. The forgiveness of sin always came by the shedding of blood, even in the first covenant. Moses would take God's law, he would take this list of rules, and he would declare the law to the people to help them see themselves. The book of James said that the law is a mirror. You can't wash your face with a mirror. You can only use a mirror to find out your face is dirty. And then you got to go to something else to clean your face. But there are a lot of people that look at God's law and they see how dirty they are. And they think the law showed me how dirty I am. So I'll clean myself with the law. If I'm guilty, I'll just behave better. That will make me unguilty. If I'm guilty because of my not doing right, I will do right. I will behave, which, good luck. I will not lie. I will not cheat. I will not smoke. I will not chew or run around with those who do. I will get it right. I'll go to church. I'll study the Bible. I'll pray. I'll do all the things. I'll do all the things. That will surely make me clean. You know what they're doing? 
They are taking a clean mirror, a perfect mirror, down off of the wall where its purpose exists. And instead of getting a washcloth, they are putting the mirror on their dirt and trying to clean their face with a mirror. Go outside and work in the yard and get dusty and dirty and sweaty and gross. Come inside, look in your bathroom mirror where it belongs on the wall for its purpose. Take it down and wash your face with it. And now look at your face and now look at the mirror. You are no cleaner. You are now a confusing mess and you have stained the purpose of the mirror. I'm helping you today. God's law. God's law exists in a particular place for a particular purpose, and it is to show me I don't stack up. Now, what am I going to do about it? I'm not going to use the law, but I am going to grab a wash rag. Titus 3 and 5 says we receive the washing and the regeneration of the Holy Ghost. He brings a washcloth dipped in the blood of Jesus, and he does what the law can never, ever do. So the mirror diagnoses me, but the blood cures me. Even the old covenant, Moses would declare the law. He would show the people who they were and what they were. I'm not even to my intro yet. He would declare who they were and what they were. Then he would slay an innocent lamb. And then he would take the blood on a rod with uh, hyssop and wool. He would dip it. And then he would sprinkle the law, the scroll of the law. Get this. I mean, the Holy Ghost just be exploding inside of you. He sprinkles the blood of the lamb on the law, covering every law, everything that could be broken, every sin. He sprinkles it on the law who can't fix it, and he sprinkles it on the people that broke it and then declares them forgiven under the old covenant. Under the old covenant. Hebrews 9.21. In the same way, he sprinkled with blood the tent, the tabernacle, the, the dwelling place of God, and the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. No forgiveness. There is power in the shedding of blood. There is power in the shedding of blood. The transfer of sins, the sins of the guilty, are transferred onto the innocent. The priest would bring in a pure spotless lamb. He would raise his hands and point it toward the congregation. He would point his hands toward the sinners that had come to be forgiven. And symbolically collecting all of their sin. And then he would turn and he would lay his hands on the head of the innocent. He would collect the sins of the guilty. He would stand up straight. He would stretch out his arms. Come on, somebody. <laughs> My God. <laughs> You can't not preach this. It preaches itself. The high priest would get between the people. He would stretch out his hands and absorb their sin. And then he would lay his hands on the head of the innocent lamb. And then he would slay the lamb. And then he would sprinkle the blood of the innocent who was carrying the sin on the people. And the people would be forgiven. In the old agreement, in the old agreement, this would happen. The transfer of the sins of the guilty onto the innocent and that innocent blood carrying the guilt of the offender while the offender goes free. 
the offender goes free and is declared legally innocent. If you go to a court of law, if you get declared innocent, now, even if you did it, you're free because the court made a legal declaration. And this blood made a legal declaration that the offender was now innocent and that there was nothing left for them to pay to the court. They could go free and go on with life as usual. Under that old agreement, these sacrifices had to be made time and time again. And the penalty for sin was covered up. But it was never totally perpetually removed. The law was in place demanding that the price be paid over and over again. As long as humans were living, they were ever breaking the law, and it had to be paid for repeatedly as long as they were alive. Hebrews 10 and 1 says this, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come. The law was a picture of holiness, but it couldn't produce it. The law pointed to the answer, but the law was not the answer. Good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. It's like the negatives of the photo, but then you develop them and now you have the actual picture, you know? It can never, the law can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. The Bible says the law has never been able to cleanse the sinner. It covered the penalty. They could go free, but it did not make them clean. The old agreement never made anybody clean. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? If the sinner was ever made clean, there would have been no reason to continually make the sacrifices because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there's a reminder of sin every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Now let's go to Hebrews 10, 8 through 10. When he said, above, you have neither decided that you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices. This means that those sacrifices never fully appeased the heart of God, his wrath against sin. You have not taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. But then he added, Jesus says, Behold, I've come to do your will. Jesus said, the law never satisfied you, Father. The sacrifices never fully satisfied you. The sacrifices never got the job all the way done. The sacrifices never made anything clean. He said, but I've come to do what your will is. He does away with the first, the old agreement, in order to establish the second the new covenant, the new covenant ratified in Jesus' blood, the finished work of the cross, the message of the cross, the gospel. And by that will, we have been sanctified, clean and set apart, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. Once for all. Once for all. Once for all. The difference between the old covenant and the new covenant is that, number one, there is one sacrifice, one time, that replaces the need for repeated sacrifice. You don't get saved over and over and over again. That's old agreement. But churches are still teaching it. And they're using Jesus as a sheep that has to be slain over and over and over again. But under this new covenant, it is one sacrifice, one time, that replaces the need for repeat salvation and repeat sacrifice. Number two. Instead of a sheep 
that one sacrifice is Jesus Christ the Son of God. Revelation 13, 8. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of the whose names are not written in the book of the life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Jesus is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. It has always been Jesus. It is Jesus, and it will always be Jesus. Number three. The old covenant made you safe for a little while, but the new covenant saves you and keeps you safe forever. And I never have to worry again if I'm right with God. And when I know that, it'll change my behavior. When I know that, it will change my thinking. When I know that, it will change my worries and change my burdens. The old covenant was contingent upon human beings keeping up their end of the agreement. Of the, agreement. the new covenant is contingent on God alone. The old covenant was between God and man. Did you know that the new covenant is not between you and God? The old covenant was between God and humans. The new covenant is between God the Father and God the Son. The new covenant is between God and God. And it can only be broken if God breaks it. If the Father goes against his end of the bargain, or if Jesus goes against his end of the bargain, is the only way the new covenant can be broken. That means I am saved until Jesus sins. I'm not kept until I sin. That would be like two seconds from now. I am saved unless Jesus Christ messes up. I'm saved unless Jesus fails. Because I'm not kept by me. I'm kept by him. I'm kept by Jesus. The old covenant was based on your works. The new covenant is based on Jesus' finished work. The old covenant was based on you bringing another sacrifice. The new covenant is based on you placing faith in his sacrifice. In the old covenant, the whole world lived under the weight of sin. But in the new covenant, Jesus Christ carries the whole weight of the world. Nailed to that wooden cross. Suspended between heaven and earth. One beam pointing up to the Father, the other pointing out to the world. 1 Timothy 2. For there is one God... And one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. He was hung up for your hangups. He was sacrificed for sin. He was nailed up for your iniquity. And he hung there and he died. They hung him high and they stretched him wide. He bowed his head and then he died. For you. John 10 and 18. He says, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down. Of my own accord, I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my father. So now we look to that. Now we look to that agreement. We look to that covenant. Hebrews 12 and 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. He despised the shame, and now he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The Bible says that the reason Jesus went through with it is because the joy outweighed the pain. The joy that the cross brought him The joy of what it would accomplish was so much greater than the pain it would cause. He said, worth it. When faced with crucifixion, Jesus said, yep. 
He looked ahead. He said, you're worth the cross. Renee, you're worth the cross. Justin, you're worth the cross. Stan, you're worth the cross. Jesus looked ahead and said, listen, you might say, I don't deserve this. No, you don't deserve it, but you're worth it. You're worth it to him. You are that valuable that for the joy that was set before him, he said yes. You see, Jesus was not murdered. His life was not stolen. He came to this earth on a mission. He spent every day of his life with a goal. He lived to die. 1 Timothy 1 and 15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am foremost. Luke 19 and 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The Holy Spirit cries forth today and says, this blood's for you. This sacrifice on the cross is for you. This new covenant is for you. The life of Jesus is for you. The death of Jesus was for you. The resurrection of Jesus is for you. This blood's for you. You can't break this covenant because you are not on either end of the bargain. All you have to do is believe that it's done. All you have to do is believe that Jesus is enough, that the cross was enough to believe that this blood was for you. Romans 10 and 5. For Moses writes about a righteousness that was based on the law. We covered that. That the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness that's based on faith says, don't say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, who will take care of this. That is to bring Christ down. Don't say who will descend into the abyss. That is to bring Christ up. But what does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. That is this word of faith that we proclaim because here's the New Testament crowd. Here's the new agreement. If you'll just confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This new covenant doesn't require anything from you but your faith and your belief. You say, what about right living? You won't be able to help it. You won't be able to help but to live right. Right living is not the cause of your righteousness. Right living is the byproduct of your righteousness. I don't live right to get right. I get right and can't help but live right because the one who is right is now living inside of me. I'm crucified with Christ, but yet I live. Not I that lives, but Christ that lives within me in the life that I now live. I live by the faith of the Son of God. I don't worry about right living. Just can't help it. Just don't want to lie. Just don't want to steal. Just don't want to kill most of the time. Just don't want to run around. Come on. I, I just don't want to put junk in the temple of the Holy Spirit. I don't want to take this body out before it's time. I got Jesus on the inside working on the outside. Oh, what a change in my life. I don't worry about right living. I don't get up in the morning trying to keep the Ten Commandments. Don't even think about it, to be quite honest. But I get, up, I get up every morning super thankful that my eyes opened. I get up super thankful that Jesus loves me, that I'm living in him and him in me, that I know him, and his love fills my heart, and I automatically just find myself living for Jesus. Don't try to live right. Don't have to try. Do we fail? Of course we fail. But when we do fail, 1 John says, if in, in, if, if my children, if any of you fail, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the Son. Hallelujah. This blood does not just wash you. This blood doesn't just improve you. This blood doesn't just forgive you. 
This blood completely replaces you. Replaces you. This blood removes the law's authority over your life by killing you. If somebody has a court date, if somebody if somebody got drunk, stole a car, okay, public intoxication, grand theft auto, and then drives under the influence, we'll stack up some big ones, okay, and then speeds through a residential zone, runs a stop sign, and hits and kills a kid. This is a lot. This is a lot. If they go to court, is there any getting out of this? By the way, there's videos of all of it. All right? They're going to jail. They're not getting out of it. What if the morning of their court date, they die? Does the law have any more authority over them? But what they did was really, really bad. Thank God somebody listened to what I'm saying. What they did was really bad, though. Surely they should be punished. But they're kind of dead. But we got video, and the law is stacked against them. The law holds no authority over the dead, no matter what they have done. Romans 7, 1. Or do you not know, brothers? For I'm speaking to those that know the law. The law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. I'm so glad that when I got saved, I didn't just get forgiven. But I died in Christ. I am separated, divorced from the law that I used to be married to. I have died, and now I'm raised to new life to be married to another, Christ who died for me. The law can't touch me because I'm dead. I can't even show up for court. I don't know what's going to happen on Judgment Day, Brother Edwards. What if they put a big screen up? What if they play a video my whole life? I'm going to be, listen, you don't even have an opportunity to show up for court because you chose to let Jesus take your place and you died on the spot and Jesus washed your insides with the blood and gave you a brand new spirit inside. Your court date has been canceled. There will be no video screen. There will be no recollection. Your sins are removed as far from you as the east is from the west. That means running opposite directions. It's never going to be brought up in Hebrews 10. Jesus said, I will never remember sin on your part anymore. Well, that's good news. The law only has authority over you while you're living. Romans 7, 4. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law. You're dead. You died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that you may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were constantly at work in our members. They bore fruit to death. You remember when you were having fun, but it never felt good? You remember when you had pleasure, but no satisfaction? That's called addiction, by the way. When something gives you pleasure without satisfaction, you enjoy it, but you can't get enough. So you got to do it again and again and again. And you're trying to fill empty spots with stuff that distracts you, but never fixes it. So you did a lot of goofy stuff that probably wasn't even you to do it because you were trying to answer the problem with the wrong answer. You were trying to medicate the disease with the wrong medicine. And it never worked. It just distracts you. It just covered the feelings. It just covered the pain. It bore fruit to death. But now we're released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that now we can serve in the new way. 
Somebody say the new way. We can serve in the new way of the Holy Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. I, I hope you're hearing what this is that I'm telling you. I'm just reading your Bible. Don't shoot the messenger. If you want to get mad at somebody, get mad at Paul and Jesus. I didn't write this. But I'm sure loving it. I'm sure loving living this way. When you decide to place faith in Jesus' blood as your Savior, you die with him. When you place faith in Jesus, you're buried with him. When you place faith in Jesus, you are raised to life with him. Romans 6 and 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, now this is not water baptism, this is the spiritual baptism that happens when you get born again and saved. You're baptized into the person of Christ when you get saved. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. When I was six years old and I got down on my knees in my bedroom floor, and confessed my sin and accepted Jesus as Savior, instantly my spirit died 2,000 years ago on the cross. And instantly I was buried in the tomb 2,000 years ago. And instantly I was resurrected with him. You see, I'm in Christ and he's in me. Now I am meshed. I'm in union with him. Union means oneness. It means in complete harmony, uh, working together, meshed together. What You can't tell. One. When the father looks at me, he doesn't see DJ Edwards because he died. When the father looks at me, he only sees Jesus. He does not see my failures yesterday, today, or tomorrow. Anytime the father looks at me, he only sees the blood. He only sees the perfection of his son. I am walking around hidden. You know these verses. I am hidden in Christ. He became my sin that I could become his righteousness. I died in him. I was buried in him. I'm resurrected in him. And the life I live is not my own. I am in union with Christ. I am one with Christ. You remember when, uh, when Jesus said, John recorded in the gospel of John, Jesus said to them, he said, in the same way that the Father and I are one, he said, now you and I are one in the same way that he and the Father are one. He said, you are one with me, and you are one with the Father, and the Father is one with you, and the Father is one with me, and now it's us, and we, and I, and this beautiful union with Christ. So now my spirit was with him on the cross. My spirit was also walking with him, healing people on the streets of Jerusalem. There's no time or space in the spirit, and Jesus Christ is eternal, and now I've been traded out. So now that spirit, which is alive inside of me, was there when he gave blind Bartimaeus his sight back. I am now part of the eternal union. I know that's a lot. I'll stop there because it looks like some of y'all are getting scared. You're not going to believe what he said this week. I don't even believe the guy. I just go because to see what he's going to say next. I'll leave it there. You can chew on that. Hallelujah. When you died in Christ, everything the law had against you was wiped out. Do you remember our opening text that said, that Moses sprinkled the blood all over the scroll of the law and also on the people? Jesus did it too. Jesus did it too. Colossians 2, 13 and 14. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened, that means brought to life. That word quickened means life, just life. He hath quickened together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses and blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. 
I went in the storage box this morning to look for my city gate. I saw it, but I couldn't get to it. I was going to have, how many of you remember my city gate? I'll break it out soon. Oh, good. Most people haven't seen it. Real soon, I'll bring my city gate. But anyway, I'm going to share this, but I don't have it this morning. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. In the ESV, it says it this way, canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. What's he talking about? Why do you use this kind of language? His readers knew exactly what this language meant. Cities had walls and gates. People who had debt that they could not afford, they could write their debt on a parchment. And they could go out and they could tack it to the city gate like a bulletin board at Harps. Come on. Go put your debt on that and see if anybody takes it. They would write their debts, and then they would hang it there for everybody to see. Rich travelers would stop at city gates to get a drink for their camels, probably to anoint their, their feet. They would use olive oil because they didn't have jergens. Or a vino. They probably did have some cocoa butter. Come on, the real stuff. So they would stop to refresh. And while they were standing there stretching, they'd look. And what do they got up here? Oh, this one says a prisoner got loose. This one says this. This one, oh, it's just a debt. This is a debt. Sometimes a rich traveler would be moved with compassion and mercy. And they would pull down one of those debts. And they would sign, they would take a quill, and they would sign their own name on the stranger's debt, saying, I'm going to cover this. I'm going to pay for this. And then they would roll it up so that no one else could see that person's shame. And then they would take a nail and they would hammer it. Let's do it this way. They would hammer. This thing's been through worse. They would hammer that signed-off debt hidden into the wooden gate of the city. And all of that debt would be canceled. The handwriting that was against them, signed by a rich one that could pay what they could not afford. He came from a place they had never been, down to the place where they lived and he picked up what they could not pay for. He covered it with his own name. He nailed it to the wood to never be remembered by anybody else again. Well, your sins were hanging out there waiting for payment. A payment that you could not afford. How many of you understand that sin always takes you further than you want to go, keeps you longer than you want to stay, and costs you more than you can afford to pay? And your debt was hanging out there. All of your sin was out there, and you couldn't do anything about it. But Jesus came riding by one day. He came from somewhere you had never been, down to where you live. He looked past your faults, and he saw your need. He wrote his name on all of your sin, and he nailed it to his cross, rolled up, never to be seen again. (laughs) 
And Isaiah, the prophet, said to the children of Israel, inspired by the Holy Ghost, but really it was prophetic for us as well. He said, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord, though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be white as snow, and though they be red like crimson, they shall be like wool. How does he do it? I don't know your past, but you do. I don't know your worst day, but I know mine. I don't know what you fight. I don't know your struggle. I don't know your temptation. I don't know how bad you've blown it. But I know that the hardest, most complicated, overwhelming, impossible sin, failure, and temptation. I don't know how much guilt you had to carry. I don't know what you did or how many times. I know mine. I know it didn't feel good. But that high priest... The Bible said we have a high priest now who's touched by that feeling of our infirmity. And that high priest stepped down between you and the death. And he stretched out his arms and he collected. He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all King James, uh, King James says men, but the original doesn't. It just says, I will draw all. My friend, Pastor Paul White, said, DJ, he said, I have become convinced through my study of Scripture. He said that it wasn't about men. He said, he told us that if I be lifted up, I will draw all sin. He said, I will draw all to myself. That high priest got between you and your penalty and he drew your whole past. He drew not only the punishment, he drew the guilt. And then he put it on the lamb. And the lamb was slain in your place. Your whole list was covered in blood. Red sin covered by red blood. Now it's invisible. And then it was rolled up and hidden. How does he do it? Your greatest temptation is no match for the grace of Jesus. Your greatest failure is no match for the love of Jesus. You can't get into an alley so dark that he's scared to run in and get you. He's not. You can't do something so bad that he says, I can't help with that. Your brain cannot become so sick that the great physician cannot rescue you and heal you. There is hope. I don't know how he does it, but I saw everybody that stood up at the beginning of this service that said he had done it for you. It's a mystery to me. I don't know how a brown cow eats green grass and makes white milk, but he does. And I don't know how Jesus takes the black heart, dips it in his red blood, and makes it white as snow, but he does. But he does. I don't know how he does it but I've seen him do it. I've seen him do it in me, and I hear your testimony. Why would anybody turn him down? This blood's for you. Would you give him a hand clap of praise, singers, musicians? This blood is for you. Why would you turn? Oh, we are. I thought maybe everybody would take your cue, but <laughs> praise the Lord. Wow, wow, wow. We, we went to Bible college today. I knew I, this 30, 40 minutes, whatever, of talking, this is more than I understood, really, in everything I grew up in my whole life. Now, thank, now, <laughs> amen. thank God for a great church. And, they might, and they, they might have taught it, and I didn't listen. I don't know. 
you know, maybe I would, maybe I was drawing Batman that Sunday on the back of an offering envelope. I can promise you I was drawing Batman that Sunday on the back of an offering envelope. That was every Sunday. But I was usually listening. By the way, your kids can draw and listen in church. So don't make them sit like this. But do make them be quiet and don't let them be on the phone. Don't let your spouse be on the phone either. The information that you just heard in the last however many minutes is the answer. Not only can it set you free from sin, it can set you free from being churchy. It can set you free from religion which quite honestly is a lot harder to deal with than sin. Sin has never been able to hide the gospel like religion has. Religion's the most dangerous thing in the whole world. Sin just is what it is. Religion acts like something it's not. Religion pretends to be Jesus and tricks people. But today you heard the answer. Old covenant, new covenant, and the blood, and the blood. All you have to do is believe him, and all you have to do is believe what he says about you. If you have a particular struggle you keep wrestling with, if you have a particular area of sin, you keep falling. I, I'd lay down any amount of money right now to say that your answer that you've tried was probably, I will try harder and I'll do better. And it never has worked, has it? But I can promise you that your answer is, when you fail, when you fall, if you will look at that thing and say, I'm sorry this happened, but I'm forgiven. I'm sorry this happened, but I'm under the blood. I am sorry this happened, but I'm one with Christ. I'm sorry that this happened, but the Father doesn't see this when he looks at me. I am not defined by this moment of failure. I'm sorry that this happened. I'm not intending on carrying on in it, but the Holy Spirit is up under this blood with me and he's working it out and I still belong to Jesus and I'm still saved. This thing does not have me, will not have me. If you will start truthing your way into victory, instead of trying to guilt your way into victory, you will walk in victory. You will never be able to judge yourself into victory. You will never be able to beat yourself into victory, condemn yourself into victory. It, good luck, go enjoy. And if you need that sort of thing, I got a list of churches I can recommend to you. And you can go and let them just beat the tar out of you every week. And then when you get tired of that, you can come back. And we'll say, no, it's not trying harder. It's the blood. No, it is not judgment. It's Jesus. No, it is not condemnation. It's crucifixion. Come on. Start believing what Jesus says about you. And if you've never been born again, get born again today so you can start saying it. Amen? Would there be a single person here today that says, I've never been saved. I have never received Jesus' finished work. I've never received God's forgiveness by putting faith in what he did. I want to be saved. I've never been born again. 
I want him to do what you said, preacher. I want him to take out the old me and put in the new me. I want to be saved. I want Jesus. If that's you, would you step out from where you are and would you come and stand with me? I would like to pray with you as you place faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross. Would there be even one? You say, I want to be saved, forgiven, born again. If that's you, come right now. Forget what anybody thinks and take that first step of faith. Everybody Jesus called in the scripture, he called publicly. They all responded publicly. He said, if you, if you deny me before people, he said, I deny you. He said, but if you profess me before people, he said, I profess you before the Father. If that's you, would you come? If you're watching at home, you don't have to be in this building to be saved. Jesus is right where you are. Call out on him and just tell him in your own honest words, I know I'm a sinner. I know you're the son of God. I know you died for me. I know you rose again, and I want to say yes to that. I need your forgiveness. I need your salvation. I say yes to you. I confess you as Lord. I know you died, and I know you got up. Come in. If you pray that prayer today, it's very simple. You don't have to impress him by being fancy. It's not the right words. It's, it's the heart placing faith in what he did. If you do that today, would you please, please click the message button and let me know that you prayed to receive Jesus today. Thanks again for listening to the River Audio Podcast. We hope that these weekly sermons are an encouragement to your life. Make sure to stay connected with us throughout the week online at theriverworshipcenter.org and on Facebook and Instagram at The River.